Good morning, belonging. I am so happy to be here today, and I want to thank you for actually joining us on our first streaming service. I know it's different technology, but I'm excited to see where this can lead. My name is Brian Pickle, and I happen to be one of the elders that serve here at The Belonging. And about three months ago, Mike said, I'm going to be out of town, and I need someone to preach. Of course, this was before the coronavirus and all of this. But we were at an elders meeting, and when he asked, I pulled out my phone to look at the calendar, and I looking down and I'm typing in trying to figure out when what's going on about that time and I hear Matt say well I'll be happy to but I've already done a couple and then Steve the other elder said yeah me too and it grew strangely quiet and so I looked up from my phone and these three men of God had their finger on their nose like this so by the process of elimination and the fair use of no nose goes I'll be bringing the message today. In all seriousness, I do find it an honor to be preaching today. I think it's a blessing to this church that not only the lead pastor and his wife, but also all of the elders can teach the Word of God. It's my dream that every leader at the belonging can teach the Word of God. Because that's what we're called to do, to become and make disciples. So, before we start today, I would ask that you join me in prayer. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for this new technology that we can reach even more people. We know that it's different than what we would normally do and what we might be comfortable with, but push us past our comfort zone and be with us. Lord God, I just ask for your presence. Not only here, but I ask for your presence for everyone watching. Whether they be on their couch. Whether they be listening in their car or in their office. Whether they be watching it alone or with a group of friends. I pray right now that your presence would envelop every one of them who watch. I ask that your presence just surround us. And that you are with us and you meet us at our meeting place. Lord God, I ask that you prepare each heart and unharden hearts. I ask that you open eyes and open ears so that they may hear and see you and your word. I ask that you use my tongue to deliver the message that you've given me. I ask most of all, that we join together in spirit in your presence. For in your presence, there's peace in this world of anxiety. In your presence, there is healing from the sick. And in your presence, there is strength. So strengthen us now, O oh Lord. We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When Mike asked me to preach, I said, sure, I'll be glad to preach. What, would you want, what do you want me to preach on? What's the series? And he said, well, we're preaching on John. I said, awesome. 
So what are we preaching on? Are we preaching on the seven signs of Jesus' deity? Are we preaching on the seven I am statements of the Christ? And he said, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Because I haven't got that far yet. You've got a sermon series set up, but you don't know what you're going to preach on. He said, yeah, just read through John and whatever inspires you, that's what you're going to preach on. Now, I don't know about you, but I used to teach. And I would teach on lessons. And each lesson would kind of build upon the next one. So I expected to have a couple of lessons from Mike on what we were preaching on and then I would build and tie in and it would be amazing. So, but he didn't have that. So I can follow instructions. I went and I read John from chapter one, verse one to the end. Brushed up on some stories that I knew. Got a few things straight that I had misread. Learned a couple of new things. But I wasn't inspired. So, I did what any person who can does in a situation where they don't know what to do. I called my mom. I called up and said, hey mom, I got some good news. I said, Mike wants me to preach. She said, amazing. What are you going to preach on? I said, I don't know. She goes, what do you mean? I said, Mike wants me to preach in John, but he doesn't have anything laid out. She said, okay, I'm still not understanding. I said, yeah, that's what I said. He's going to have a couple of lessons. He doesn't even know what they are going to be, and he wants me to preach on something. I just said to read and whatever I feel inspired to talk on, that's what I need to preach on. She said, well, that sounds like he's doing it right. I went, say what? She said, well, what I see is that Mike is letting the Spirit lead him what he wants to bring each of those sermons. Instead of setting up a sermon series and then trying to fill it with verses that support whatever he wants to talk about. And it was in that moment that I realized that I had been doing it wrong. See, I had been trying to find out what I wanted to say. I'd been trying to find out what I wanted to bring to you. I wanted to do. I, I, I. Instead of what he. So I prayed and I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for once again trying to usurp your position. Forgive me for the pride that I could tell them what you wanted to say, use me and give me the word that you want. Put myself aside and you speak through me and give me your word. Nothing. So, I read through John again. I got a couple of devotionals and Um, commentaries and read through them learned some really neat stuff but once again nothing was inspiring me something you need to know about me is uh, 
Every week I have a table that I play games with a couple of friends. We have a very eclectic group. Um, we have a range of political ideas from basically far right to far left. Two of them are self-proclaimed atheists. Two of them have not really proclaimed what they believe, but I get the sense in talking to them that they would be considered agnostic. And then another Christian and myself. So we have some very interesting conversations around my table. But we were playing a game and one of my friends did an amazing, her character did an amazing thing. I mean, one of those amazing parts of the game where it was almost impossible, like five Yahtzees in a row. And we joked with her and we said, burn her, she's a witch. In reference to Monty Python, which we all like and we all laughed. And another one of my friends said, well, that's some real Exodus twenty-two eighteen right there. I felt my jaw hit the ground. And I don't know if it was my mouth hanging open or the dumb look on the other people's face. And he said, well, that's where it says, suffer not a witch to live. And I was aghast. See, I've been raised in the church. I was there three times Sunday, once on Wednesday, probably a choir practice. If there was a bake sale and a car wash in the same week, we were up there all night. I know churches. I have been raised in a church. And had I heard this verse, suffer not a witch to live? Yes, I had. I could tell you it's Levitical law. I could even tell you generally where it is. But what I couldn't have told you was chapter and verse. And I felt embarrassed. I, I felt ashamed. Because here was one of my atheist friends who knew the scripture better than I did. And so after the games were over and we had a great time and I was driving home by myself and I said, Lord, I'm, how can this be? I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I don't know it as well as he does. I don't know your word as well as this atheist does. And the Spirit said, you don't. You know the word. He just knows words. He knows words to support whatever argument he wants, but you know Jesus. I, then my heart broke because I started thinking, how, how does someone know all of the words? I don't know if he knows all of them, but how do you read the Bible at least enough and not see Jesus? How do you, how do you, ex, how do you read all of this and not know the love of God? And then it hit me. Why John? I said, well, because Mike said so. Spirit said, no, why John? Look at John again. 
So over the next couple of days, I read through John, and I started seeing, you know, the, Jesus turned the water into wine, and as we could go over, you know, Jesus honoring his mother and Mary's faith in her son and the symbolism of the covenant with wine and beginning and the end of his ministry. And the Spirit said, no, why John? And then as I read these stories that I've seen forever, that I've been taught since I was born, and I realized something for one of the first times, it really came alive to me that these are not just stories of our Christ. These are not just stories of our faith. This isn't just something that happened. These are testimonies to people who have experienced Jesus. These are accounts of people who have met our Savior. I mean, in chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming from afar. And he stops and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a testimony for someone you just met. In chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus is changing the water into wine. And it says, this is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. It's a testimony to what they saw. Chapter 3, we meet a man named Nicodemus. This is the only, chap, or the only book that we actually mention Nicodemus. It's the only gospel to mention. And he comes and he's asking Jesus questions. He's experienced Jesus. This is where we get the verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Now we don't see a huge change in Nicodemus right off the bat. But again in chapter 7, he comes up and he's defending Jesus. He's saying, do we judge this man without cause? Do we, without actually a trial? And you learn that this is where they are plotting, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're, they're plotting against Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. We've got to hear what he has to say first. And then again we meet Nicodemus at the death of Jesus, chapter 19 of John. And he brings myrrh and aloe, a mixture of spices that in that are part of the embalming. In fact, it says that he brought 100 pounds, in some translations 75 pounds, of this myrrh and aloe for honoring Jesus. To give you kind of an idea how much that is, we're, experts are thinking this is somewhere between 150 and $200,000 worth of embalming that Nicodemus brought. That's a change. And then in chapter 4, we meet the woman in the well. 
In John 4, 28 and 29, says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me all I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? See, she encountered Jesus. She encountered the love of God. And because of her testimony, the whole town believed. It says in John 4, 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And then they turned around and went out to see him, and they experienced Jesus personally too. In John 4, 42, it says, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. She met Jesus and changed. She introduced people to Jesus, and they were changed too. People who meet the real Jesus are changed. And that's what this book shows over and over. In fact, the entire book is a testimony of testimonies. In John 21, 24 through 25, it says, This is the disciple who, bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true, now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, think about that for a minute. This is a man who walked with Jesus. And he is observing, he is witnessing what is going on. He is seeing people come up and change. He is hearing them as they are talking to Jesus and see the change in their lives. And he says, these are the things that happen. These people change. And I'm a witness. I'm a testimony to their testimony. I am a witness to their transformation. I am a witness. I have the testimony that they have met the real Jesus. See, we think of testimonies in this type of context where we say, I'm going to give my testimony. I'm going to talk about how I met Jesus. We think of those as good things, but that's not all that John records. John also records the witness by people who didn't believe. These would be the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You know, these are the people who should have known Jesus because they had studied the old law that pointed to the coming of Jesus. These were the people who had studied the Bible. To kind of put that in our day of perspective, these are the pastors. These are the elders of the church. These are the leaders of the church. These are the ones who led other people who were supposed to be the ones who knew. And in John 5, 39 through 47, Jesus rebukes them. 
He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And that it may bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may live. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. And I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive the glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. For there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me, but you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? He does it again. After the feeding of the 5,000, he starts talking about drinking blood and eating flesh. A pure reference to what is to come. And in John 6, 60 through 69, Jesus says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were that did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come unto me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, Many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Their encounter changed. But Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, there, was the, there were the people who came to Jesus, but missed Jesus. There are people who studied the Scriptures, but missed the Word. So, why? Why, if they had been looking for them, if, if they had been studying him and trying to find the Messiah, why did they miss Jesus? But even more importantly, why do we miss Jesus? See, I think the first thing is that a lot of times we seek the Jesus that fits our narrative. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were looking for the Savior to come and overtake the Roman government at the time. They were looking for the, uh, the Messiah to come and restore Israel to its rightful place. And they were looking so hard for Jesus to do that that they missed Jesus. 
They, miss, they, they were looking for the Messiah. And when he said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. But that wasn't what they wanted to hear. I think sometimes that's what we do. We have a solution if Christ would just make it so. Right? We don't want Jesus in the pilot's chair. We want him in the engineering chair. We want to be in the captain's chair so we can say, make it so. Dear Jesus, if you would just let me get that job, I'd be happy. Dear Jesus, if you would just... You know, make this happen, it would satisfy me. Dear Jesus, if you would just let me get that more money, I would be happy. We have the solution that we want Jesus to fulfill. But what does it actually say? In Proverbs nineteen twenty one, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of man. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And when Jesus is teaching us to pray, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. How else do we miss Jesus? Well, I think sometimes we try to force Jesus into our version of the scriptures or our misinterpretation of the scriptures. In John 7, 40 through 42, it says... When they had heard these words, some of the people said, this really is a prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But others said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? See, they knew enough about what the Messiah was supposed to do that they even knew where the Messiah was supposed to be born. They knew about the Messiah. They knew about Jesus. But they didn't know him personally enough to know that while he was Jesus of Nazareth, he was born in Bethlehem. So how do we get to know Jesus? How do we get to know Jesus personally? How do we actually understand who Jesus is? In 1 John 2, 4 through 6, it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this... We may know him, that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. You want to know Jesus? Start walking his path. Start using the word to find out what Jesus did and go and do likewise. John 16 verses 12 through 15 says, 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and what he declares to you will be the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that is the Father is mine, and therefore I have said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How do we follow Jesus? We listen to the spirit of truth. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We, we listen to the teacher that Christ sent us. What's the third way that we miss Jesus? I think one of the bigger ones also is fear. It could be fear of our coworkers, fear of our family, our friends, our spouse, or even fellow church members. We're afraid of losing our autonomy if we start following Jesus. We're afraid of what Jesus might see. John 12, 42 says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were afraid to confess him. They were afraid of following him because the church would kick them out. Sometimes we're afraid of what Jesus might see. We're afraid that we're not good enough to come to Christ. It's a scary proposition for those who have never experienced his love to say, I'm wrong. See me. John 4, 29. The woman at the well says, Come, see a man who has told me all I've ever done. And she had done a lot. That's a scary thing. But John 12, 44 through 50, it says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me himself has given me a commandment. What to say? what to speak and I know that his commandment is eternal life what I say therefore I say as the father has told me Jesus didn't come to condemn you Jesus didn't come to judge you but his words will lead to life a life in him that is a life of peace. A life through him that is abundant. 
ignoring his word leads to death. And that leads us back to John 1.1 where it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. Jesus is the beginning and he is the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. His words are life. And then I saw one more thing. In John 2.2. It says, Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. You want to know Jesus? Invite him to your party. See, at this wedding feast, he didn't judge it. He didn't reject it, but he made it better. He didn't judge the bridegroom for running out of wine. He could have. He didn't say, the wine's out, let's party's over, let's leave. He changed it for the better. John 2.11, this, the first of his sign, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I encourage you, if you have never invited Jesus to your party, if you've never invited Jesus to be with you in his presence, then I encourage you to just say a quick prayer with us. Just say, dear Jesus, I know that I've done wrong and I acknowledge that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Savior that takes away my sin. Teach me to be more like you. Send your spirit to teach me to follow in your ways. I ask in your name. Amen. I really hope that the word has spoke to you today. I hope that you walk without fear. I hope that you walk in the presence of Jesus. Have a wonderful day and we will see you next week.